This is Mission Disco, a conversation about imagination, innovation, and Christian mission in Ireland and beyond. I am Simon Kilpatrick. And I am Brian Sanders. And we are your DJs for this conversation. Okay, lads. Uh, it's good to see you, Simon. Of course, I've seen you all day already. <laughs> yeah, too much of you. Unfortunately, we are we're we're good eight hours in or nine hours in at this point. So the work, guys, the work is to be coherent. That is the work that lays ahead of us. We also have uh, Fraser here with us today, and Fraser, I just realized over lunch goes way back with you, Simon. I mean, back to the disco days. <laughs> The voice of a DJ, disco. <laughs> um, yeah, I've known, I don't know how long I've known Fraser. We were in the same church when we were um, long time, yeah, younger. Um, and then I suppose became good friends when we started leading a youth group together. Yeah, doing youth work, sort of college days, was it? Early college days, yeah, yeah, eighteen, something like that. So yeah, we've grown to be good friends. Good support and encouragement. I agree with that. Yeah, good, good, That's good, good. good. I'm happy with Did that. I meet you in Tampa. Yeah, I I, I stayed in your house. Was in my. I house. stayed in your house twice in Tampa. <laughs> I always remember because both times your dog did a poo in the in the the bedroom. An amazing hospitality. Um, you gave us a room, a bed. Your Except wife cooked breakfast. I'd wake up breakfast every morning, cook breakfast, and a poo from your little dog <laughs> in my room. A welcome somewhere. gift. It was like a welcome gift. Yeah. So that's not seen as a as a sign of hospitality in Ireland. It would be. It would be. Well, you know, maybe, I don't know if it's cultural or just a personal thing, I would have thought, Brian, like, but uh, either way, I've been there twice and there was two poos, so. Well, all right. You know. That dog's dead now, so thanks for bringing that up, Fraser. <laughs> yeah. um, Fraser, tell us a bit about yourself. You're a pastor of a church. I am pastor of a church uh, called Dublin West Community Church. Um, so we're in Dublin 15, um, and, and I also work still a day a week so i was i'm an economist that was my my job before i became a pastor um and i've somehow managed to maintain a part-time role in that so i still work a day a week in sort of economics and public policy stuff so can you just tell us by the way this is probably off topic a little bit but can can you just tell us the story of how your who was it your your doctoral uh professor whatever supervisor was kind of a famous economist or supervisor whatever and there was an article written about all of <laughs> yeah. his all of his famous students, and uh, and you were in the article too, right? Yeah, I was the butt of the joke. <laughs> you were the butt. Of- <laughs> yeah, yeah. You like that one? I really did like that one. Yeah. So my my, my supervisor, he, he he's he's moved on again. He's now um, chief economist of the European Central Bank. So he's like Jay Bad, one of the top guys in Europe. He's brilliant, and uh, he is leaving the Irish Central Bank. So he's governor of the Irish Central Bank. And when he got that job, that was a, that was a big job. Uh, he he was a professor. He had been my professor, um, and so the paper had like two pages of different articles uh, when he got that job, just so the Irish public knew who this new guy was. Uh, and one journalist decided to go and, and and you know on his CV on his website it would have had the ten people who studied just did their doctoral work under him, and I was one of them. And googled all the names and listed. You know Goldman Sachs and these banks, these consulting firms, and, and list them all. And then said, and the pastor in West Dublin, <laughs> the black sheep, and then uh, went through all the people, and, and then came back to me, and uh, yeah. So I was nine out of ten isn't bad, yeah. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. For his record, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think the title of the article was something like the governor's economic flock, 
flop being the sort of pass very clever um we we want to talk to you today about uh a book we we've started a press and the heart, I suppose, and desire behind that is for you to publish Irish Voices for the Irish Church. Um, and you've uh, got this idea that you're a writer and that you think you're good enough to write for the Irish Church. <laughs> I can't believe he's slagging you. There's no, there's no respect. It took, it took so much encouraging from so many different places <laughs> to take the guts to get put pen to paper and start writing. And then you and just then run one it, moment. Thank you. One moment. It's gone. No, it's good. It's good. Um, tell us, tell us the name of the book first. Uh, the book is called Down with This Sort of Thing. Where did that title come uh, from? I, I, I didn't make that up. So it's obviously <laughs> a reference to one of the most infamous scenes in Father Ted. Um, I think there's a there's a film with some some dodgy activity in it on on comes to Craggy Island, and um, I think it's Bishop, the Bishop Bishop Brennan yeah. gets them to protest, doesn't he? And, and and Ted and Dougal go down to the cinema, and they can't get anyone else to protest, and they chain themselves to the railings, and they have two signs: "Careful now" and "Down with this sort of thing." And you see a lot of those signs in any protest that happens in Ireland ever since. Yeah, and um, and around the world, so they've been actually. Uh, they were in America, I think, around sort of Trump election stuff. And they've been, was it in, was it in Iceland? I don't know, the country oh, where, where, you know, government came down and stuff. And that, that sign was there down with this sort of thing. So that's sort of, it's become nearly a bit of a global thing. But the subtitle kind of helps to frame. Yeah, yeah. You won't get a lot about what the book's about from you just the title. Yeah. Um, so that's me piggybacking on Father <laughs> Ted. <laughs> uh, so the subtitle is, how is the gospel good news in contemporary Ireland? Yeah. So that's really the theme of the book, trying to explore that question and, and, and start the conversation. Obviously, it's an, it's an enormous question for all of us who follow Jesus in this land. So, where Just before we talk about what the book's about, where did the kind of idea come from? Did you feel kind of a sense of calling to write? Did you, was it a God thing? Um, probably a couple of different things. I mean, I mean ultimately... Um, one or two people encouraged me, said, you know, to, to, to write stuff down. And, and I found a friend who was thinking something similar. So we actually just um, started writing little bits, meeting for lunch and, and having read each other's uh, little chapters and, and, and giving each other feedback, talking it through together. So that's how it started. Um, but after, you know, I had been encouraged, I sort of uh, reflected back that actually been one or two people that sort of prayed that over me hmm. I don't know seven eight years before and so I thought maybe this you know it was a couple of those little things together I thought maybe this is something I should I should think about and, and, and take seriously and then as I got into it with a friend you know just meeting every two months having done something in the two months in between it just sort of felt like there was something in it felt felt like it helped clarify my own thoughts in my head by actually putting them on paper so Fair it just yeah. went from there so seven or eight years to respond to a nudge from God. That's pretty good. <laughs> well, he won't. He quick won't. or slow. I don't know. Just, <laughs> look over here, afraid. Just ignore yeah. him. Just ignore him. No, actually, the book is is actually quite remarkable. But it is it's it's interesting to me, obviously, being someone who's who's new to the culture, that someone like you, who's so um, capable, so competent, really has so much to say, and then turns out is actually quite a good writer. 
would be so reluctant. I mean, there is a there is a kind of hurdle, I guess, or a mountain in a way that, mm. that Irish Christians, it seems, need to climb to get to a place where they can feel comfortable or confident enough to be able to pull the trigger. Because the truth is, this book is as good or better than uh, you know books I've read by people who who think they're quite good and are happy to write loads of books and wouldn't yeah. be reluctant at all. So, I mean, what talk about that for a little bit. I mean, it, it, even just to say a word to that kind of aspiring Irish writer out there who harbors the smallest glimmer of hope that maybe they could write something or publish something, but maybe suppresses that hope. And what would you say to them? Yeah, well, I would say that that's, you know, what we need in Ireland are Irish voices speaking to the Irish church. Um, and that's why we've um, started a press. We, we we had a Kickstarter campaign, and, and so we have money to start a press, and, and we hope that this book is the first of many, um, and that people who are on the front line um, following Jesus, living it out, praying the scriptures, reflecting on them, are themselves in their own conversations, their own lives, finding out what the gospel looks like in this place, because it will look slightly differently. It will incarnate differently in this place than others. And and we want that to then be shared. And there's going to be lots of people in Ireland who have really valuable thoughts and just need a bit of encouragement and also a path where they could see there's a place. There's There, there are people here who want to publish Irish Voices for the Irish Church. Yeah. And that is just, I think, going to be really valuable for us. Let's get into the book a little bit. I mean, maybe we can, um, obviously we can't talk about all of it. We don't want to give it all away. You know, yeah. we're going to need to buy a copy to get it. Who did it? But, you know, there's, it to me, it seems it's a book full of contrasts, almost juxtapositions. You know, um, there's this, I mean, maybe the initial contrast is between faith in this kind of post-Christian context, which you, mm. you sort of get into early in the book and you know i like it when you're you kind of rough up religious people and you know in your own kind of kind way i mean frankly you call you call religious authority in ireland thieves and robbers i mean you're you're, you're referring to john 10 but could you unpack that a little bit i mean you how how do we have faith in a place where spiritual religious authority has been come to essentially has come to a place as jesus saw the religious yeah. leaders of his time, and he called them thieves and robbers. And and you're you're making a case in a sense that the cultural context of religious authority in this country is thieving and robbing. You know, talk about that. Yeah, well, when you hear it like that, I mean, they're really strong words, you know. But but <laughs> like Jesus, <laughs> Jesus used those words, yeah, yeah. and he used those words about the religious authority of the day, and um, it's extraordinary. And actually, I mean, where. Where this comes from, I guess, is, you know, I'm a pastor, my, I'm, I'm probably a teacher in terms of gifts. Mm. And, and, and through teaching and preaching through a number of different pastors, I just found myself, when I was applying it, you, you always hope to apply it to your own context. What does it mean for us? And a lot of the references about the religious authorities of the day just seem to speak to our country as uh, was a religious country is now, you know, reacting to that as a post-religious culture um, and so i found you know going through those those references all this sort of coming out and and in different places and now just sort of putting it together and and when you think of some of the stories that have come out from what happened in the old ireland in our religious culture you know some of them actually maybe do fit against 
um, the thieves and robbers background. You know, when, and when Jesus used that term, he wasn't talking about it for all people. Um, you know, later on, some of the, after John 10, some people agreed and some disagreed. And, and, and so there was this sense that it wasn't for everyone um, he was talking about. And I think that that's obviously true in our case as well. But yet there were things that were clearly, you know, not proud of and ashamed of. And, and, and maybe those labels sp- actually speak to that. And actually, so what it gave me when when um, I ended up in those passages, it actually helped me understand in some way how some of these things could happen in our past and, and, and are things that maybe we have to deal with and how can we deal with it? Um, and, you know, I just I just found it helpful talking to, to friends and who, who, who aren't followers of Jesus to actually, you know, when, when their frustration with religion came out and saying, you know, Jesus was so frustrated with religion as well. Mm-hmm. And actually not not trying to argue against that, but say, do you know what? Jesus agrees with you. And and, and there's a commonality, even though you don't follow him already. Um, and so it was like spiritual authority was meant to be generous. It was meant to give something, yeah. not take something. And that offend, yeah. uh, that offended Jesus, you know. Yeah. The, and and you, you you kind of get into that a little bit with the these these contrasts of like control versus relationship selfish versus serving um comfort versus sacrificial i think is another yeah. uh, pairing that you have which also strikes me as kind of like this this alternative maybe that we have as leaders or people who are in the business of spiritual life or spiritual leadership it's like a nation maybe or a, an alternative system that we can we can be these kind of leaders or these kind of leaders, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, how did you unpack that a little bit too? Because that, it feels like that is, those are hard fought lessons from your own ministry and life. And yeah, I guess a lot of those contrasts, I mean, I mean, they sort of flow out of, of, of Jesus' own teaching in John 10. A lot of them are about, about sort of power and, 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 and what you do with power. Do you lay it down like Jesus did? Um, do you use it to, to invest in people or do you use it for yourself and, and for, and so you can reflect what that has looked like in our own context. But you still see, I mean, it, it interests me, that intrigues me that, that, that there are still religious using one use of that term in our land who people have respect for and um, who people know by name, um, like Sister Stan or, um, Brother Kevin, um, these names. But they're the people who've led sacrificial lives, you know, to serve others. So actually the ones who have, have led the path, um, they're religious in the sense of maybe belonging to a religious order, but they've led actually the path of the Jesus way and his model have got a, a, a reputation, which, which is good in this land. Um, and that, that, that intrigues me. And what's really clear there is Jesus, he doesn't just give out what he do, which he clearly does. But more than that, he actually defines himself in opposition. You know, he says, they are that, but I am this. And he, he is painting the contrast. And that's his way of speaking to people in a religious culture of that time by saying, I am different. Yeah. Which is maybe a part of what, how the gospel has to be presented. Maybe that's a yeah. sort of meta theme for the book is that the gospel can be good news or is good news if it's understood yeah. in its sort yeah. of pure, purest yeah. form. Yeah. So I haven't, uh, I've read some of the book, but I haven't read all of it. Um, but all the way through, you have these, uh, yeah, one way of, of Olar and what it is and a way of kind of presenting the gospel different. 
um, or what the gospel would look like. Um, what were some of those um, some of those pairings you had? What were some of those? You know, Brian mentioned some of them earlier of what the gospel would look like, how we present it. Some of the chapter titles, maybe. The way I've gone about the book, I guess, is I've I've tried to take one aspect of our culture today. So one is post-religious, one is we're sort of post-authority, one is we're progressive culture, um, we're a liberal culture with real value and freedom, and, and 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 there's others, and sort of taking those strands and then trying to speak into that. What would you know? The good news, obviously, you know, has these set dimensions that you know because Jesus brought it. But how would it get expressed now in that culture? Mm. You know, so what does faith look like in a post-religious culture? What does obedience, you know, because to be a follower of Jesus is, is, is to actually follow him as a disciple. We, obedience is part of that. What does obedience look like in a post-authority culture? Because mm. clearly on the surface level there, that there's a clash there. So mm. how can you present that in some way? And in a liberal culture where freedom and personal choice is possibly the prime value of our age, how does a, a, a Christian freedom, how does a true freedom look like? And then, you know, what does Jesus look like in a progressive culture? So there's all sorts of ways. It's really just trying to listen to the culture and mm. um, just from, from living in it, from, from reading the papers and chatting to people and whatever, just listening to it day to day and then trying to, to speak some of, of the gospel and the good news of Jesus into that and, and, and think, how does it? And it, it doesn't have all the answers by any means, but. But I think it's just great to try and think through some of that, you know. I love, yeah, I love that chapter that that you know what is true freedom or freedom in the liberal mm. context. Mm. That Edna O'Brien quote, you know, this is not freedom. Looking at some sort of teenage uh, rebellion or something, and you you actually say in that chapter, freedom is more than choice. Yeah, and that's that's where it's at because I like. And I, like, a, you got to sort of understand a little bit of where, where our culture is coming from, because when choice was restricted, mm. when the, the governments and in the old Ireland influenced by religion, the government said, no, you can't have choice to do that. Then the desire is to yearn for choice. And so, so we want choice and, and choice, obviously, in a Western world as well is, is where we're at. But if you actually look at our choice, you know, so much of choice is influenced by consumerism. You know, so it's actually, you have the choice to buy this, this, and this, or to look like this, this, and this, and wear this, and this. And actually, is that really freedom? We know that's not really freedom because, you know, people pay marketing companies to, 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 to influence your choice. And so that would sort of be agreed on the surface. But actually, we have a view, the good news would tell us that there's, there's forces within us as well, which restrict our choice. And actually we, we keep making repeated choices, then it's hard to escape from them in the future. And then the, 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 there's forces within as well. So we're actually not really free. You can choose all these things, but you're actually just choosing what your desires tell you. But, but where do those desires come from? You know, where's the freedom there? And if your desires are bad, then you can freely choose what you desire, but it's not going to be good for you. This is fascinating. And who yeah. are you yeah. in response to? And so there's different strands of, of, of thought in economics or in political thought, which, which would make this out yeah, from interfering with elections, you know, in Brexit or in America, you know, people had the choice of how they, they voted to choose and they went into a ballot box and ticked a box or pressed a button, but, but what influenced that? What's the role of social? So there's lots of areas of life we recognize that freedom is more than choice. But yet, 
we haven't really put all the pieces together. And I think, I think somehow, um, I'd love people to go deeper into this, but somehow we can, we can talk about that in a Jesus way as well, about he, how he offers a deeper freedom than just choice. I mean, you, you really treat these kind of profound, profoundly challenging ideas in a sort of gentle way. You have a, you have a gentle way of addressing them or coming to them. I, I, I saw, uh, I wasn't long ago. I saw some strange, I'm a little embarrassed, but you know, you, you know, you stumble on something on Netflix, but I, I ended up watching this documentary on a Japanese heavy metal rock band called X Japan. I don't know if you've ever heard <laughs> of them, good. but they're pretty, they're pretty like famous. That. They're pretty famous. Like Japan, big deal, massive band. You know, I'd never heard of them. So I thought it was fascinating, but there, I was strong. <laughs> there was a moment in the, in the documentary where the lead singer made he's he, they're old now they're sort mm. of an aging heavy metal metal rock band or whatever and he he says um i've tried everything like there's nothing in this world i have not tried and i remember that's striking me i mean that's that's sort of the the pinnacle yeah, yeah. of, of mm. liberation right yeah. i i have had the the money the resources mm. the the wherewithal to do anything i wanted in this life you know yeah, yeah. and i have done it all I have tried it all. And I just remember being struck by, one, how sad he was, actually, in that revelation. And me realizing at the same time, actually, there's one thing you haven't tried, which is maybe possibly the greatest thing, which is virtue. It's actually to restrict yourself. Yeah. You know, he hasn't tried, for example, to be married to the same woman for 40 years. Yeah. He hasn't tried that. He hasn't tried what it's like to never lie or harm his body or there's loads of things he hasn't tried so it just that reminded me because you're 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 basically you're sort of uncovering this lie that liberate liberation to do anything your heart desires isn't really true freedom yeah yeah and you actually say i think you say something effective like real freedom our greatest freedom is to love yeah that actually love is the maybe the the defining characteristic of real freedom, true freedom, which in a sense, love is restrictive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if you love someone or you love something, you give to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's to the exclusion, perhaps, of loving other things, you know? Yeah. Um, You can't love... And, you know, even what you say about trying everything and having complete choice and freedom, like, none of us would boast about bringing up our kids that way. Right, good point. You know, Mm. so so we we recognize Mm. there are areas of lives where we don't just... We recognize there's trade-offs, but yet, and this is, you know, uh, as Christians sometimes we use the word idols because some of these things that we, we, we hold to and we like, they actually then get a hold over us because we've given our hearts to that. And I think as a country, in some ways, we've given our hearts to freedom now. Um, and because of that, even though there's these other parts of society which recognize that there's trade-offs here and that, that freedom isn't always good or, or choice isn't always good, you can have too much of it, um, we still hold on to it. It has this lure because it's different from what we had before and it holds out this promise for us and so we've sort of attached our hearts to it and even though at times you can you you know there's examples and anecdotes whatever would say that there's issues with it we hold on to it we think that there'll be more and and if we're not happy now well then maybe in the future when i have more freedom and then i'll be happier Mm -hmm. and even if that means more money to be able to have the freedom to buy more things then i'll be happier or if i government gets off my back and there's more social freedom to do this or that then you know nirvana will come but actually you know i don't know what the evidence is for that so well and, and maybe as a as a kind of 
um, final thought. I, you know, something that you, you again, you, you're looking at these kind of contrasts, and I can't help but read it through the lens of leadership. You know, I just keep thinking these are choices we have to make hmm. uh, as people who are, of course, communicating with our lives and our message. This person who we have a deep and profound commitment to, and who we think somehow your your future your life your salvation is wrapped up in you discovering this person and i always feel like there's this challenge of leadership to choose between these things and yet you say um it's not it's not an external process you 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 you're saying it has to change you, a person needs to change their heart essentially mm. from the inside out not it's not this is not tactics you know don't just yeah uh, do relationships instead of control. Don't just, you know, serve instead of being selfish. It's, it's like, this is a, what you're describing is something that can only be attained as a journey of the heart. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. And that, and that's ultimately where, like, if, if we can connect, um, to these cultural values that people want freedom, people want whatever, uh, it may be, then we can see that that actually Jesus only provides that because there's something within us that traps us, that, that, you know, we're trapped to our desires, but can we actually really change our desires? Um, and, and actually Jesus can, you know, and so that's why ultimately, you know, Jesus offers the deepest freedom for us. Um, and that's, so that's one of the ways the gospel of Jesus is good news today, but we, we have to just get better at articulating that. And, you know, that's a journey for us, I think. Just one final question. I think, there's a lot of um, Christians living in Ireland today that find it difficult to articulate the gospel and mm. to, to speak into some of those ways that Irish culture is. When you were writing the book, was there a particular audience? Have you written it for Christians to know how to articulate the gospel or is it is it readable by anyone? Um, probably the, the, the primary audience probably probably is for, for Christians. Um, you know, I think they'll just have more interest in it, you know, mm. Um would it help others understand? Yeah, the hope is that, you know, a, a secondary audience of, of, of anyone, the aim is ho- that it hopes to maybe present the good news in a, in a relevant way, but also by doing that, help others think how they would present the good news in a relevant way and, and spark those questions. They might mm. have further thoughts when reading it of actually I could, you know, actually there's a little story there or something, they would just make a tangent off that and do mm. it slightly differently themselves, but and that's, that would be great mm. and start the conversation. So, Primarily Christians, I think, but a bit of both. Mm. Well done for writing it. I know I slag you, and uh, it's, it's funny okay. to do so. It's okay. But uh, it's once really you buy good. the book, that's Get okay. A copy. <laughs> but it's uh, it's great that you've started that um, journey for yourself as well, but also to set it up for others. I'm excited about what yeah. books make them out. Mm. Thanks, brother. Cool. Thank yeah, you, guys. Thank you. Right. Enjoy this. You've been listening to Mission Disco a podcast by Praxis Movement. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Praxis Movement. Subscribe, like, or download this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or online at praxismovement.com.